You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 29 West Tolpehawken Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I want to introduce to you tonight Aaron Bergman. Many of you know him, but um, he you may not know um, that he is an avid rock climber, that he runs great lengths on a regular basis, that he teaches uh, throughout the, the, the school year. That's his day job. Um, and he is a passionate, um, gifted teacher. So I'm grateful that Aaron is um, prepared to share with us tonight. And uh, you've seen him also up here sharing vision at the end of our meetings. He also meets with our third and fourth graders during this time on a regular basis. So he, gives, he shares his gifts in lots of ways. Um, but tonight he's sharing, particularly um, through what God has given him uh, for us. And there'll be time to talk back after he shares. So um, be prepared for that because... This, this whole meeting is about um, us giving what we have and listening for the Holy Spirit to move. Um, so, Aaron, thank you for being prepared for tonight. Come on up. Thanks, Julie. That was a very nice introduction. Uh, it's just so great to be here, to see all of you. Uh, welcome. Yeah, my name is Aaron, and uh, I've got a... I'd just like to share a couple of brief thoughts with you that uh, have come from my own experiences and also some, from some things that I've been reading. Um, <clears throat> I've been a part of Circle now for about two years. Um, I'm married to a woman named Corinne, if you've seen her, and I've got three kids. We have three kids. Uh, Elliot, who is actually not here, he's, he has like a low-grade fever, so he's staying home, and so is Corinne to, ca to care for him. And then if she's going to be home, then Cora, my baby daughter, has also got to stay home. But Anna's upstairs, and I'm here. Oh, I, already, uh, I already broke my promise to her that I wouldn't embarrass her by mentioning her. But I, is that, I, I think the promise was that I wasn't going to say that, uh, how awesome she is or something like, anything like that, because she is. Um, it's okay. She'll, she'll hear it on the podcast anyway. It's all right. Um, Two more things you got to know about me is that um, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm also identify ethnically as Jewish. So I celebrate Passover, and those are the two things that I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about Jesus, and I want to talk about Passover. There it is. Uh, here's a picture of me celebrating Passover with my friends and family, and as you can see, it's it's just a dinner, really. We're all sitting down. Um, some, some of the kids are kind of excited what's going on. Uh, it's, uh, but this dinner helps us tell a story. And the story is a rescue story. It's the story found in the book of Exodus of how God rescued his people from slavery. It's the liberation of Israel from Egypt. So during the dinner, we read from a liturgical book called the Haggadah, and I brought mine along. Actually, this is a new one this year. Two Passovers ago, we kind of had like major kid meltdown, so I invested in the 30-minute Seder, and this is, this is really, this is really good. I highly recommend it to anyone who has kids trying to do the same thing. Um, there's all sorts of like 
they have all sorts of these. I, I think I went on Amazon and I saw, I was like, I need a short one, a short one. Oh, the anti-Trump Seder? Like, what is that? It's, it was almost like a joke book. It was ridiculous. But this is the, um, this is the 30 minute Seder. Um, and the Haggadah tells us to do or to say or to eat or to pray or whatever it is we need to do, whatever actions we need to do. It's all listed in here. You just kind of read it and do it. And, um, and it helps us tell that story, that rescue story. And I've been doing this for a couple of years now. Um, let's see, Elliot is six at this point. So we've been doing this for about six years, ever since he was born. And um, I, I, kinda, I was pretty sure that I wanted to do it, and I wasn't exactly sure why. Like, why, make, like, um, if, why do this at all? And uh, I did it as a kid in my, in, in my family of origin. And, um, and it wasn't in, really until writing this talk that I really firmly decide, like set out in paper, on paper, like why exactly I do this. And now I know, and I'm just, I'm appreciative of the opportunity to talk, because now it's clear in my head and I'd like to share it with you. It's significant to me mostly because I want to teach my children and my extended family uh, about Jesus' work. And so I'm trying to do it the way that Jesus taught his disciples. Because at the end of his life, at the end of his earthly ministry on this earth, when Jesus wanted to explain to his followers what his forthcoming death and what, all of, what, it, what it was all going to mean, he gave them a meal. He gave them this Passover meal. What a cool way to teach. Uh, Jesus... Um, Julie said that I was a teacher, and I am, and I'm always just really appreciative whenever I see just amazing teachers at work. And Jesus, you can say whatever you want about Jesus, but you can't deny he was an amazing teacher. You really, really, it blows my mind just how well, how well he planned out his lessons. Like, it's really good, really good stuff. Um, I don't know a lot of teachers whose words and teachings have lasted with such force 2,000 years later, but he relied heavily on everyday objects. Objects and things that you and I experience, uh, or, or they would experience at least, on a, on a daily basis, and they could relate to. He used them to teach about the new thing that he was doing. So, for example, in, uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew has him recorded saying, the kingdom, of head is, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took to be planted in his field. Uh, though it is the smallest of all seeds, Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds can come and perch in its branches. Now, Corinne took a whole class on the kingdom of heaven and entire volumes of books have been written about the kingdom of heaven. And it's even just the, the phrase itself is like, wow, the kingdom? What's the kingdom of heaven? What's hev the kingdom of heaven? What is that? Like, it's, it, it can be so dense, but Jesus just said, you know, it's kind of like that thing that you have in your garden. Next time you're out in your garden, go ahead and look, and remember that mustard seed. It was so tiny. Maybe some of you have mustard seeds, like when you grind up at spices in your kitchen. It's really small. And then when you put it in the ground, it grows to this giant, wonderful thing that the, even the birds can perch in. And maybe you don't really need to know much more than that. Like, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is, you have to just look at that thing in your life called a mustard tree. 
I'll give you another one that he used. Uh, he used, I am the true vine. Uh, my father is the gardener. Now, let's step back in a second and just let's think about all of the headaches and the books and everything that has been ever said about Jesus versus God the Father and us. And what's, like, what exactly is the relationship between those three? Like, I, I knew one woman uh, who, who, like, interchangeably used the word Jesus and God when, where most people don't. And I think she was a little confused. But maybe had she read um, about this, uh, oh, about this. And maybe she, had she remembered, you know, what's the relationship between us and God versus us and Jesus? Well, Jesus is just the main trunk right there, the very bottom that extends to the ground. We're the little grapes. No, we are the branches. We're the things that go out. And God the Father is the gardener. So if you're ever confused really about the Trinity, just go, just go to your, you know, he was talking to an agrarian society. He's talking to lots of farmers. So he said, just go back to your, go back to your farm and just look at, the, look at the grapes that you have planted and remember that I'm the vine and you're the branches and, and God the Father is, is the gardener. He used these symbols from, from people's everyday life to, to explain exactly what it is that they needed to know. I'm just curious if any others uh, come to mind. So sit there, and you don't have to say anything right now. But if you can think of any, you can you, know, you can show your uh, you can show off your Bible literacy if you want and shout them out. What do you what other objects do you think he used, or do you remember that he used? You don't have to feel bad if you can't think of any. Lost coin, yeah. Kingdom of heaven is uh, like a lost coin. Like a woman who lost her coin. Yeah. Any others come to mind? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You will be fishers of men. Wait, Jesus, what am I supposed to do now that you're gone? Oh, be a fisher, except instead of fish, fishes, fish for men or people. Say it again. Feed my sheep. I've got a lot of sheep and they need to be fed, so you're going to go out and feed them. Jesus, what do you mean? What about if, when I get here or there? What about you know, 40 years from now when I need to like, figure out what's going on exactly? Or, or 2,000 years from now when we need to figure out what our purpose is? You just got to remember that we got, we got to feed the sheep and, and go from there. So that's good. Yeah, I, I'm glad we're tracking. Yes, go ahead, Julie. Oh, yeast. Yeah, so like, the kingdom of God is like yeast. And if you've ever baked bread, you know, it's just a little bit of yeast and you have to like, mix it in with a whole lot of flour and eventually it's the yeast that makes it all rise. Um, yeah, it's good. So Jesus was talking about these things all the time. Um, some of these symbols he explained at great length and uh, others he just simply stated and let us use our imagination to color in the gaps. Kind of like, um, you know, if you read a book and you, you don't watch the movie, but you're just reading the book, and your, your book and, the, and the, your mind just, just colors in all the different uh, characters and you can, with your imagination you can see the different things that are happening. Um, some, of the, some of these parables, we have no recorded explanation of why exactly it is the way it is. We just have to use our imagination and our experience with the symbols to, to kind of flesh it out. And that's kind of what I want to do uh, today a little bit. So what I'm going to do is I, I've got a kind of a central question, um, and here it is. It's, uh, why did Jesus choose Passover? And what does it mean for us, his followers? 
Like really, what was he trying to teach us? He could have chosen any day of the year to go into Jerusalem and pick a fight with the Pharisees and the Romans that would eventually get him killed. He could, have, he could have ended his ministry on any day of the year, but he chose Passover. He didn't, he didn't choose the Day of Atonement, which, uh, where all sins are forgiven. He chose Passover. So what was he trying to teach us with that? And like, what, is, how does, what are the implications for us today? It's, it's a really deep question. I don't really want to give you a specific answer. It's, just, it's too rich and deep for one person like me to tell you just what I think. So I, I'd rather crowdsource my theology a little bit and uh, tell you uh, about Passover, and then you can tell me what you think. Um, maybe we can figure it out together. There will be a time, as Julie said, there's going to be a time for talkback. And uh, some of you, if you want, you can volunteer to tell me what you think. And I don't mean to like over... Uh, put too much structure on talk back, you can really talk back at me with whatever you want. I'm not trying to turn this into school because I, I do that sometimes as a teacher. Uh, but this is, this is going to be my, um, I'm going to give us all the kind of, the things that we need in order to help us answer this central question. Why did Jesus choose Passover and what does it mean for us? And even like the deepest, most robust talk back, like I don't know what that looks like, but just like the, the, the most amazing talk back ever could never fully answer this question anyway because really the deepest questions, um, really the deepest questions can only be truly answered by living a life in response and answering it with our lives. So like the real conviction for me is to try and show Jesus what I think um, with my life. But first, uh, more on symbols. So, a roast chicken on a normal day probably means dinner. But a roast turkey on the fourth Thursday in November in America, that means thankfulness, it means abundance, or a freedom from want. Uh, similarly, a, a flower on a normal day can mean beauty, it can symbolize be uh, beauty. Uh, but a flower given on February 14th in America means romance, especially if it's red. Uh, a ring through a, through a girl's earlobe on her eighth birthday probably means uh, growth or maturity. Uh, but a ring around, take that same ring and move it to her nostril on her 13th birthday uh, means rebellion or independence, maybe. And then take, uh, take the ring out of her nostril and maybe make it a bit bigger and put it on her, on, her, on her finger on her wedding day, and that symbolizes something completely different. Um, maybe promises or fidelity or, or marriage or whatever. So symbols have context, too. And the day and the place will provide meaning and help to tell a larger story. So I come back to my central question. Um, and I'll rephrase it a couple of times. I'll say it like different ways. Uh, why did Jesus choose a week-long festival like Passover to frame his last days? He knew this was going to be the end of his ministry. He knew this is how he's going to end it all. He chose Passover as the day he was going to end it all. 
Why did Jesus choose Passover as the day to force a showdown with the authorities? Why did Jesus choose Passover meal as the last? And he gave the mustard seed, he gave the yeast, he gave, he gave us fishermen, sheep, all these different symbols. But the very last symbol that he used was Passover. So that's what you're going to find on a Passover table. It's the Passover plate. It's the, uh, Passover itself is high, highly symbolic. And on the dinner table are plenty of symbols to smell and to taste and to remind us of the different parts of this story. Uh, the salt water, can you see it? Oh yeah, the salt water is like in the bottom left and that uh, white dish, you can't see it because it's salt water. <laughs> um, but the salt water reminds us of uh, the tears that were shed by, uh, by my ancestors as they were slaves. Uh, the wine helps me celebrate God's faithfulness to his people, as well as the miracles that he performed on their behalf. Uh, the ten plagues, the frogs, the locusts, the gnats, the death of the firstborn, the, the Nile changing to blood. All these plagues were visited on the Egyptians and their pharaoh. And the final plague is symbolized by a roast lamb. For it was, uh, this lamb was like slaughtered so that they could use the blood to mark the doorway of the house of an Israelite. And when the angel of, it's, it's super scary and really creepy, but when the angel of death was coming, it would see the blood, the lamb's blood on the door and it would pass over that door, so we get Passover from that, and it would go to, and, and it would instead visit the house of an Egyptian. So we typically have lamb to remember that. Remember, this, this is a lamb that died so that its blood could be used to protect the Israelites. And that in itself is an incredibly strong symbol to have on your table, or and even to be reinterpreted in Jesus' time. We've got flat, crunchy matzah. Raise your hand if you've ever crunched through some flavorless, crunchy matzah. And I, I think it has, it, it, I don't know what it tastes like, but it tastes as close to nothingness as cracker can, can give you. But uh, it, it helps me remember that after Pharaoh finally told them that they could go, the Israelites had to leave Egypt quickly. They couldn't even wait for their bread to rise. So we have these, what would have been bread is now just unrisen bread, it's uh, matzah. And these are, the, the, these are only just a few of them, there are way more. And even there's, there's variation, like not, you might as, if you haven't gone from like house to house to house, observing different Seder plates, you might not even know that there's lots of variation, like not everyone does it the same way throughout the globe. Um, there's some, there's some variation of the symbols that are used to help tell the story. But trying to figure out what all the symbols mean kind of misses the main point. The strongest point is that uh, eating the Passover symbols declares that it happened. Once and for all, it happened. And we are part of the people that it happened to. Passover is the ultimate freedom movement. Passover says, freedom, now. It says, kingdom, now. And God's going to do it. God is the main agent in this freedom movement. The people 
more or less sit back and watch. I mean, they have to do some walking and they have to go from point A to point B, uh, but God's going to get them there. And they sit back and watch as God's power topples the mighty dictators, the dark forces of oppression and slavery. Passover says that kings and dictators and all sorts of evil might prevail over you for a moment. But God rescues, God delivers with a might that will blow away your oppressors as easily as a child just blows away dandelion seeds, just, just they're gone. So why did Jesus choose the festival of Passover to coincide with his own confrontation with the religious authorities and the occupying Romans? And what does that mean for us today? There's a few more aspects of the Passover story that remind me of Jesus' ministry. Uh, can I get a volunteer to read? The God of Israel delivered, he rescued his people. And he did it by stepping into their world and effecting change on the ground, right in front of their eyes. Frogs, boom. Locusts, boom. Blood, like a river. Can you imagine the, the one source of water? Boom, turned into blood. He stepped in to the, everyone could see it. God was doing mighty, mighty things. The Red Sea, whoosh, parted. All I got to do is walk right through. He was going to do it right there personally and, uh, and in front of their eyes. So why did Jesus choose Passover to frame his own dramatic culmination of his earthly public ministry, of his death and resurrection. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Yeah, the Lord, the Lord is going to form a godly community from this Passover event, this story. He didn't deliver his people so that they could just live however they pleased, nor did he deliver them to be isolated individuals. He intended to create a qualitatively different kind of community. And I was, I was so touched by what Brandy shared with us during art direction. Because we all need community, and we need a special community. And through the Passover story, through those mighty acts, he was going to take the people out of Egypt and plot them into, into Israel, into, into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and he was, going to, he was going to form a new community. And they would live with him and, um, and one another in covenantal uh, faithfulness. So in what ways does that sound like us today? Third, Shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. 
It's, it's about relationship. This, God intends his people to have certain, a certain experience of their relationship with God who graciously rescued them. Uh, some people, uh, ha, okay, has anyone ever seen The Prince of Egypt or The Ten Commandments, the movies? Kind of like the dramatic conclusion to both of those events, uh, the climax of the story for both of them is delivering the law. Like Moses comes down with the, the Ten Commandments and boom, that's like how we kind of end the movie. Um, but some people say that the climax, if you read the story, the climax of Exodus is not uh, the giving of the law, but the, cons the construction of the tabernacle, the, the tents where God would live, that symbolized the new creation, the place where heaven and earth would come together as it was always intended. Come, what was that song we just sang? Come, Lord Jesus, come. In what ways does that sound like us also? What was tr Jesus trying to teach us about God and himself and the community of God when he used the Passover as his template? I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession, a land flowing with no This is the good life. And maybe it sounds a little weird to you. I mean, it does to me. I mean, when I think of, when I think of flowing milk, I think of like, my kid just knocked over the cup of milk and it's flowing down onto the floor and someone's got to clean it up. Um, but, but to an enslaved tribe in the desert, it probably sounded about perfect. God was, was going to be restoring them and satisfying them um, in every way that they needed. He would be taking care of their physical needs, their, their economics, everything. Does that sound, in what ways does that sound like what Jesus is promising or what God has promised to us? I really think that Jesus' Jesus's life, his death, his ministry, his marching orders to his disciples, to all of us, his promises, I, th I think a lot of it is, can be contained in the Passover story. So, did he mean for us to be living a kind of a new Passover as the church? And here's kind of where I'm going to drop the mic. And I want, to, I want you to tell me what you think. Why did Jesus use Passover and what does it mean for us? Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.